0: The question is, can revival really happen? Okay, so a lot of you are saying like, Hallelujah! Yeah! <laughs> of course! Right? But I know, because I have the same doubts as some of you, sometimes we say, oh, Lord, when? Will it really happen? Have we passed it? Well, but I know the Scripture says, well, here's the truth of the matter, that the Bible does tell us about it. The Bible does tell us about it. But today, I'm going to give you some insight. Um, many of you... Oh, just real fast. I, I forgot. I did want to mention something about my testimony. My testimony CD is out there, too. It's in, we have a Spanish version and an English version. So if you need the testimony in Spanish, you can get it. Because it's the one in Spanish. <laughs> it looks different from the one in English. Okay. But uh, just so you know, in in, in a nutshell, born and raised Jewish, I became an atheist at a very young age, and I stayed an atheist for 24 years. 24 years as an atheist. 24 years as an atheist. till I got zapped by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And one night in 1983, all alone, nobody around me, the Spirit of God ran up and down my body. Tears poured out of my eyes, and this atheist Jew spontaneously lifted up his hands and called out to Jesus, hallelujah, and my life was changed, hallelujah, glory to God. Now, praise his name. Jewish people have listened to my testimony and given their heart to Jesus. Gentile people have listened to my testimony and given their heart to Jesus. It is a powerful witnessing tool, and that's also out there on the table. But that's who I am. The reason I'm a Jew who loves Jesus is because God had to hit me over the head with a spiritual two-by-four. And he did it with love, and it worked. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay, so um, will revival really happen? So most of you know the scripture, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, many of you know it. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal the Lamb. It's, uh, you know as I've traveled around the country I go into churches many churches they'll have that up on their wall you know in a plaque or something like that it's, well it's a, it's a really 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 important scripture A because it's God's word and B because it says some, something that stirs our heart about this hope for revival but there's a backstory to it see And this is where you're going to get today. The backstory to 2 Chronicles 7.14 tells us so much about what God was really saying. And it has an indirect link to thanksgiving. Yeah. And it has a direct link to Jewish people. It has a direct link that Jesus finishes off with his own words. And it's all tied in together because God's really good at that. Did you ever notice that? God's really good at making scripture. You know, you don't have to read just this one scripture because this one ties into this and ties into that. And before you know it, you're going, wow, God really knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. So let me set the stage for you. And again, there's a big backstory to this. and We'll be getting very specific in just a moment. Um, Thanksgiving, coming up, when is it? It's Thursday. I knew that. Thanksgiving coming up Thursday. Here's what we know about Thanksgiving. It's based on what the pilgrims did back in 1621. That's considered the very first Thanksgiving in in the colony of Plymouth up in New England. And um, here's what else we know. It wasn't the fourth Thursday of November. Okay, how do we know that? Because it was a harvest feast, it was Thanksgiving for the harvest. And the harvest in New England is way over by the fourth Thursday in November. More likely this first Thanksgiving was right after the harvest in a month or so earlier. But here's what else we know, that the pilgrims were Bible believers, glory to God, Yes, let us never forget that this nation is founded on the Word of God. Hallelujah. And those early Bible believers, those pilgrims, knew the scriptures. And they knew that after the harvest, you're supposed to have a feast. Well, in fact, it's right there in Leviticus 23. And I'm not going to have you read the scripture, I'm going to summarize it because it's a little, um, it's Leviticus. God said after the fall harvest now there's three fall feasts in this in the book of Leviticus that God commanded notice the word commanded he didn't say hey here's the thought no he said and you shall all right and there's three feasts and many of you know them one of them is commonly called Rosh Hashanah the head of the year but it's really the day of the blowing of the shofar it's all about the shofar the next one is the day of atonement or Yom Kippur which is the uh the most sacred day in the Jewish religion, not in the scripture, but in the Jewish religion, it's the most sacred day of the year when the sins of the whole nation of Israel were to be forgiven. And then five days after that, there's a seven-slash-eight-day feast called Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the harvest feast of the fall. Now notice, there's three fall feasts. Only one of them is a harvest feast, and that's Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it occurs right after the the harvest of the fall for the nation of Israel and therefore it is a harvest fall feast well the pilgrims knew about Sukkot they had read the book of Leviticus again they were Bible believers and they knew after the fall harvest well after, there's spring harvest too but after the fall harvest they're supposed to have a feast and so we believe without question but it's, a, it's only a belief that the early pilgrims were trying to honor Sukkot the feast of tabernacles the fall harvest feast when they had the first Thanksgiving. And incidentally, Sukkot is a seven-day feast with another day added on the end. It's, God says seven days, you shall rejoice before the Lord. So get this, Sukkot, the harvest feast of the fall, this is going to get very important as we go, is a joyous feast. Even to this day, the people of the traditional Jewish religion, as well as Messianic Jews, like me, Messianic means of the Messiah, I'm a Jew who loves Jesus, that's a Messianic Jew, even uh, both segments of Judaism, if you will, have a joyous time at Sukkot. It's a big deal. It's a happy time. We're praising God for the harvest. We're thanking him for his love and provision. And so it's a very joyous feast. So the pilgrims knew that, and we believe the reason they had the feast, the first one, which lasted three days. Now that's not seven or eight days, but it's not one day and clearly it wasn't the 4th Thursday in November so we believe that the concept of thanksgiving was based on the book of Leviticus sukkot the fall harvest feast there's another thing about sukkot that's very important is it was one of three times a year based on the book of Leviticus sukkot the feast of tabernacles one of three times a year that was a pilgrimage feast for the children of Israel so what's a pilgrimage feast? it means everyone came back to the place of God's choosing which was Jerusalem at that, at that time it was written Well, it was written when they were in the, in the wilderness it was the tabernacle in the wilderness but God foretold as you go through the years at Sukkot Jews, Jewish men it was are supposed to come back to Jerusalem to the holy temple to celebrate this feast so we're going to see this very clearly, why it's important, that it was a pilgrimage feast. So it was a joyous harvest feast, and it was a pilgrimage feast, and we believe it was the basis for thanksgiving. But let's look at 2 Chronicles 7.14 again. Now, when we talk about this, this very, very powerful scripture, all scriptures powerful, some of them just are easier to understand the power than others. You know? Okay. See I read in the scripture it says the. (laughs) God said the Nobody's laughing. You shouldn't have gotten the humor in that. (laughs) Every word is powerful. Every word is powerful. Even the word the, even the and even the little words, because they have a purpose for being there. But let's face it, we can read through chapter after chapter sometimes, depending on what scripture we're in, and going like, okay, God, I know you meant something there. And other times we read it and go, whoa, yeah, I see it, I see it. Well, this is one of those where it's easy to see. There's no question, and I'm going to reread that scripture from 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, please notice that God starts this powerful phrase, verse, with the word if. He didn't even say when. Oh, shouldn't he have said when? That would have been, no, he said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, pray, Seek my face. No, wait a minute. Get the picture here. That God is talking about His people. So that's people who believe in Him. And what are we called to do? The things that God tells us elsewhere to do. Be humble before Almighty God. What the, some of the worship today, well, all of the worship today, came only as worship when we were humble before Almighty God. The one song had said bow we bow before him but the whole worship experience this morning was based on the idea that we're humbled before almighty god god says humble yourselves but that's not enough pray and that's not enough seek my face and that's not enough turn from our wicked ways Woo. Okay, God, I'm willing to be humble. I'll even pray. I'll seek your face. But, you know, you're not going to take this away from me because I love it. Fill in the blank. The whole world has the same problem, friends. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So that includes me. None of us are perfect. But. We must make a conscious effort to turn from our wicked ways. So what if we stumble and fall? The Bible covers that. God covers that. He says, the righteous man, who's our righteousness? Jesus, alive in us. The righteous man, though he stumbles and falls, gets back up seven times. And seven being the number of completion, so it's the same as Jesus saying 70 times seven. All right? It's not just seven. Look, God says the angels aren't up in heaven saying, Oh, that was number eight. You're done. You had your seven. That's enough of you. (laughs) Praise God, we'd all be in trouble. All right. So turn from our wicked ways, a conscious effort to do it, a spiritual effort to do it. And we can do it. And sometimes we don't. But we can most of the time. And God requires it because he says, if we do all those things, then he says, then I will hear from heaven. Humble yourself, pray, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Forgive sin. Now, remember, this was written before Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. But then he promised to heal the land. He promised to heal the land. So here, here come the guts of it. If we go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and this is the Why? In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we see the amazing dedication of Solomon's temple. It was God's temple, but we call it Solomon's temple because God called Solomon specifically to build it and then to dedicate this holy temple at Jerusalem. Get this picture, friends. The dedication of the holy temple at Jerusalem was a really big deal. This was the first time ever in the history of mankind that God had a permanent dwelling. And you're saying, well, God lives, you know, he's everywhere and God lives in heaven and we can say all those kinds of things. But the scripture tells us that the Ark of the Tabernacle was to be put in the Holy Temple at Jerusalem. In, the very, in those days, the very presence of God was there. And so <clears throat> even though God is everywhere, his presence was to be in this Holy Temple. And that's why we call it the Holy Temple. So listen, it, the dedication of the temple was not like a church dedication. You know, you come... You get a big crowd together. You come. You all have lunch together, and you go home. We'll see a little later in Scripture here that the dedication of the temple lasted two weeks, fourteen days to dedicate the holy temple, the totality of dedication of the holy temple of Jerusalem, and and um, it was a really really important event in the lives of the nation of the people of the nation of Israel. Let me show you show you this. In chapter 6 of 2nd Chronicles, King Solomon, now look here, King Solomon may have been the wisest king, but he wasn't the best king. The scriptures tell us that. He did a lot of bad stuff later, but in this one he did right. When it came time to dedicate the holy temple at Jerusalem, he did it right. And we know that because the scripture tells us that. But let's just look at this. In verse 12 of Second Chronicles chapter 6. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five by five by three. And set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on this. This is verse 13. And he stood on it knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. you got to picture this. King Solomon, we know, as I said, wasn't always the best king, but what he was was a hard king, for sure. Wise, but also very hard. He was a tough guy as a king. And he has a massive attendance at the dedication of the Holy Temple. Again, we'll see later in Scripture that it was a huge throng of Jewish people from all over the nation of Israel. But he has a platform built in the middle of this temple for the dedication so that he could stand up and be seen by everybody in the temple. And we believe those out into the courtyard and out on the steps and as as many as could see him. And what does Solomon do? This king, he is the king of Israel, but he kneels down as the king, and spreads out his hands and worships God and starts to pray, humbling himself before the nation he is the king of, of which he is the king. My daughter-in-law is an English major, so I had to fix that up. He <laughs> spreads out his hands toward heaven and he starts to pray, humbling. The king, kneeling, before Almighty God, and saying, as if to say, I'm your servant. And he does sort of say that in the, in the next verses that follow. Before his subjects. Because, my friends, and I praise God for this, ancient Israel was not a democracy. It wasn't a monarchy. It was a theocracy. A theocracy is a nation governed by God. Oh, that it should be so. But, friends... The th- in a theocracy, the king is an uh, intermediary because God rules the nation. And Solomon was showing that at the dedication of the holy temple. He's down on his knees, even put up a platform so everybody could see him, and humbling himself before Almighty God. And then he goes on to pray, and it's a really powerful prayer. And we're not going to read the specifics. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, paraphrase the next several verses, the next uh, couple maybe a dozen verses, where, where Solomon basically says, God, when we mess up as a nation, because he knew that would happen. We all sin in full short of the glory of God. He knew that. When we mess up as a nation and you bring judgment against us, and again, I'm paraphrasing many, many verses here, but when we come to ourselves and even says when we repent, Turn from our wicked ways. When we, when we do these things to make it right, what was wrong, will you take care of us? But, but not, let me say it again. He basically says, God, when we mess up and then we realize we've messed up and come back to you, will you take care of us? And he prays this rather passionately for a number of verses. In fact, God was pleased. Chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles and verse number 1. Check this out, friends. It was the last time this happened when you were praying. 2 Chronicles 7-1. There you go. When Solomon had finished praying... Fire came down from heaven woo-hoo, and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Hallelujah! That was some prayer. I'm telling you, Solomon didn't do a lot right later, but he did this right. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the burnt offering. So, God, as if to say, God says, gotcha! <laughs> gotcha, Solomon! I understand that you understand who I really am. I'm a God who forgives. I understand that you understand I'm also a God of judgment. But I'm merciful even in my judgment. So, we're looking now at verse number 8. Now, this is right after Solomon finished dedicating the Holy Temple, and you're going to see some connections here. In verse number 8 of chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, at that time, at that time. So what just happened? Solomon kept the feast seven days. Well, what feast was he keeping? Friends, he was keeping, and we'll, we'll see this embellished in a moment, he was keeping Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's right. God had the Holy Temple at Jerusalem dedicated right at the pilgrimage feast, the fall harvest feast of Sukkot. That's when he had it done. This is an interesting note. We know from Scripture That the temple was completed 11 months prior to its dedication. 11 months went by between the finished completion, between the completion of the construction of the Holy Temple and the dedication. And and, and why is that important? Because God wanted the temple dedicated at the Feast of Sukkot. You're gonna see why as we go on here. God wanted it this way. Can I get an amen on that? God wanted it done then. That's when it was done. So let's continue to read in verse number eight. Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, which is the same as saying from one end of Israel to the other, because one's in the far north, one's in the far south. All right, so what do we get? It was a pilgrimage feast. The Jewish people were supposed to come back to Jerusalem, not for the... Dedication of the Temple, but for Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And God had the Feast of Tabernacles as the dedication point for the Holy Temple at Jerusalem. So it fits together. So there was a massive throng from one end of Israel to the other. In verse number 9, And on the eighth day they held a sacred assembly, for they had dedicated the... They observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. Now here's the kicker on verse 10. And on the 23rd day of the seventh month, that tells us without a question the Feast of Tabernacles because the Feast of Tabernacles is a seven-slash-eight-day feast that starts on the 15th day of the Hebrew calendar month of Tishrei, which is the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, which is not that important to us today, but it was back then. So 15 plus 7 is 22, plus 8 is 23. You see, it works out. There's no other feast it could have been but the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the joyous fall harvest pilgrimage feast. So this becomes important shortly. I keep saying that. You're going to love it. On the 23rd day of the month, he sent the people away to their tents joyful. So Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, is now over. The Holy Temple at Jerusalem has been dedicated. Solomon has prayed this powerful prayer. We know it was powerful because fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering. And now what does God do? He speaks in verse 12. Now this is 2 Chronicles 7:12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And I'm going to tell you, of all the powerful things in the Scripture, that one speaks to me. Friends, The early bird gets the lazy worm, but you gotta get up pretty early in the afternoon to put one past old Jeffrey D. I am not a morning person. I identify with Solomon Heard by night. Yes! My time. God has ordained my late-night activities. All right. Then Solomon. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And what does he say? I have heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer. If my people. Because that's what he's going to say in a minute. Okay. He's heard. God appears to Solomon and says, I'm answering your prayer. And the answer again is 2 Chronicles seven fourteen which we've already reviewed. Let's put it up there again. If my people called by my name. He says, Solomon, I've heard what you prayed. And here's my answer to it. If you'll do what I tell you to do, these things, then I will hear from heaven. Forgive your sin. And again, this before Jesus because he did it when he sent Jesus to the cross and shedding his blood for the atonement of our soul once for all and heal the land. And heal the land. Now there's something else you need to know about this Feast of Sukkot. There's two rainy seasons in Israel. Now remember that the Hebrew Scriptures and, and the New Covenant, the Brit HaRashah, the New Covenant, are focused on Israel. They're not focused on the United States. They're not focused on Uh, any other part of the nation, of the world, they're focused on Israel. Israel has two rainy seasons, the former rain and the latter rain, the former rain in the fall, the latter rain in the spring. All right, so the former rain and the latter rain, two rainy seasons. If the rain doesn't come during the rainy season, what do you got? Drought. Big trouble. Why? Without the rainy season, the crops aren't going to grow because you're going to plant new crops right at the rainy season. Without the rainy season, there's no water to fill the wells or the cisterns. People have no water to drink. You couldn't turn on the tap water and just get something to drink. The wells had to be filled. So it was that in the fall, right after the Feast of Sukkot, but actually during the Feast of Sukkot, there's non, there's extra biblical writings about this ceremony that Jewish people did, called we're calling it the water ceremony where the high priest of the nation of Israel went through every day of the seven day feast slash eight day feast of the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, a ceremony that would basically say, God send us rain. All right, follow me. God send us rain. And it was rejoicing, as if to say, thank you, God, for sending us rain. But you know, God, we really need it because <clears throat> if we don't have it, uh, we're in big trouble. So thank you, Lord, for sending us rain. And this, the extra-biblical writings about this water ceremony say it was extremely joyous, that it was amazing that all of Israel, all of Jerusalem, participated in this, in this activity. It was a huge parade, and they poured water down the steps at the Holy Temple, and the idea was water, 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 we need rain, we need rain, we need rain. All right, so, who was there? It was a pilgrimage feast, Sukkot, the fall harvest feast. So there were throngs of Jewish people, not just uh, normal Jerusalemites who were there, but Jews from all over the known world had come back to Jerusalem for this very purpose, to celebrate Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, and participated if not all of them, most of them, in this joyous celebration, God send us rain. It was right after, it occurred during the Feast of Sukkot, and Solomon, this wasn't done in Solomon's day because the temple was just being built. So, let's go forward into the uh, New Covenant. In the book of John. How do you spell John? L-U-K-E? No, I got the wrong one. All right. Okay, we're in John chapter 7. We're in John chapter 7, and let's look at verse 2. Just to set the stage. There's no question about what's about to happen is at the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because this scripture says so. Now the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Right? And here's what happened. Jesus, of course... There's a little intrigue in there, but we're not going to go into that part of it. But Jesus ends up going to the Feast of Tabernacles at Jerusalem. Of course, he's a good Jewish boy. It was a pilgrimage feast. He was going to be there. So now Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the water ceremony is taking place every day. The water ceremony is taking place. Lord, send us rain. Lord, we need rain. Lord, send us rain. We need water to drink we need water to plant our new planting crops. Send us rain. You get this is really critically important. God, send us rain. Verse 37 of John chapter 7. On that last day, the great day of the feast. Now, what, what was that? That was the last day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last day. What does that mean? The joyous celebration had been occurring all week long or for the seven slash eight days. The eighth day would be what we're talking about here. Joyous celebration. And the water ceremony had taken place every day during that week. Every Jew in Jerusalem knew what was going on. They all knew this is a harvest feast. They all knew we need rain. If the rain doesn't come, we're in big trouble. We have no water to drink. We can't plant our crops. They won't grow effectively. we got to have rain. we got to have rain. Lord, send us rain. And on that last day, the great day this... Jesus stood and he cried out and get this friends my savior Messiah Mashiach was a hot blooded Mediterranean Jew and when the scripture says he cried out he cried out you could hear him he didn't have a megaphone he didn't have a microphone he didn't have somebody interpreting for him for those who couldn't hear he let it rip anytime you see in the scripture that anybody they're all Mediterranean uh, people, whether they were Jews or Gentiles and they cried out you know they had something powerful and passionate to say and Jesus did he cried out if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink friends they just had the water ceremony God send us rain we need rain to fill the water the wells we gotta drink we need rain for the crops he says hey you're thirsty come to me I got it listen he gets better He says, He who believes in me, notice those words. Next scripture, please. He who believes in me. Hmm. Not just a casual observer, but the people who had faith. Is that you? Do you believe? He who believes in me again, he's crying out, as the scripture has said, "Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water." So the next scripture says that this he spoke of the Spirit. Listen, spiritual rivers of living water are supposed to flow forth from us who believe he is Messiah. We are to be vessels of rivers of living water, spiritual living water. Mm. It's It's as if Jesus were saying, don't worry about rain. I got a better issue for you, a better solution. You don't need H2O. You need spiritual rivers of living water. Jesus wasn't talking about dry parched earth. He was talking about dry, parched hearts. And he's telling us the solution that God promised to Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, God said to Solomon, then I will heal their land. You want to heal the land? Give it rivers of living water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to heal the land? Let the Spirit flow forth from you, us. Again, dry, parched earth? No, we're not talking about the physical land. Neither was Jesus. He was talking about spiritual life that comes only by faith in Him. He said, He who believes in me, rivers of spiritual, living water. But here's the problem. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. Okay, check this out. We, as the body of Messiah, we can say, well, you know, I'm repentant. When I mess up, I repent. I know it's wrong because the Holy Spirit convicts me maybe it takes a little while but I eventually get to that point of saying oh God what did I do, what was I thinking that wasn't right and I repent before you and I turn from my wicked ways even if we do it again later we, are re- we recognize it but what do we do about the world and by the world I mean the non-spiritual world the secular world <sighs> the United States of America <laughs> most of it or much of it where Listen, I was an atheist for 24 years, all right? So I thought people like you were wacko. (laughs) I really believed I was right and you were nuts. (laughs) So do those other people who are opposing the word of God today. They don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to do evil today, I'm going to mess somebody up. That's not the way wickedness works. Hasatan, the evil one, the deceiver, he comes right alongside the truth with a lie and makes it sound palatable, makes it sound interesting, makes it sound conceivable. You know, it's the same with the idea that the Bible, well, that's not really what God meant. You know, and we can talk about some of the socioeconomic issues of the day, especially the social issues. You know, homosexuality is clearly wrong because the Bible says that it's not a choice of mine. It's not, it's God's word. and But yet the interpretation, well, you know, that word, if you really look at the Greek backwards in the mirror with dust on it. <laughs> with your eyes closed. It, doesn't really mean what you think it means. What, what does that remind us of? You will not surely die. Yes. The food is okay. It's the same Hasatan, lying serpent, the evil one, who wants to pervert and is doing a pretty good job of it. We have a. Legislatures at states, local, and national level that what God said thou shalt not are now being adjudicated thou must. This is not of God. Turn from your wicked ways. How do we get these people to turn from their wicked ways? And what do we want to say? I don't know what to do, man. I mean, I'm praying about it, but you know, it's just like it's getting worse and worse and worse. I know, because I say the same thing. God gave us the answer. Jesus said, rivers of spiritual living water will heal the land, God says. Put the two together. You want people to turn from their wicked ways? You want this nation to turn around and become one nation under God again? Do you want the, do you, uh, yeah? Do you want revival? How will revival ever come? It's just not going to happen. These things are getting so out of hand that we're losing control of our nation. It's crazy. Yep. Does that phase God? Nope. God already gave us the answer. He who believes in me, Jesus said. He who believes in me. Let your faith come to the forefront. Here's the problem with the body of Messiah, with the church of today. We recycle the living water. What do I mean by that? Amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amongst ourselves. You know, we come in and we say, oh, you won't believe what my boss did at work this week. You won't believe it. Let's pray. Let's, let's, or somebody, Sister, I need a healing. Can you pray for me? And we keep it amongst ourselves. And the water flows from us to us from us to us, that ain't going to fix the wicked ways of the world. It's got to flow forth from us into a lost and dying world. And let me tell you what, friends. You say, well, I believe in Jesus. I've got rivers of living water. What are you doing with it? you got to open the spigot. you got to let it flow. It's not going to jump out of you on its own. You have to be the vessel through which it flows. What does that mean? You might be uncomfortable saying, well, I'm not called to be um, a person who tells other people about Jesus. Um, I'm not, um, uh," maybe you are. And maybe there's other ways you can do it. But I'm telling you what, waiting till you get to church and telling everybody what happened isn't going to solve it. Maybe you need to be saying to your boss, excuse me, I'm offended when you use the name of the Lord in vain. My Lord. I'm offended when you say those things. You know, everyone else can say, they're, in the world, they can say they're offended, and everybody jumps to attention. That's right. That's right. How much more can we, as the children of the Most High God, not to accuse, but to simply let waters flow? and I'm wrapping up here but uh, when I was the general manager of a television station it was shortly after I'd become a new believer and uh, I was on fire then not like today (laughs) thank you Lord for fire (laughs) Um, I didn't know it but because I talked about my faith in Jesus openly all the time I'd walk into the lunchroom somebody would swear and they'd go I'm sorry They were under conviction. See, they knew it was wrong to swear like that. But my being there, his presence in me, brought them to a different point. Friends, we're supposed to be like that. You don't have to go beat somebody over the head with the Bible. Let me tell you right now, it doesn't work. I had it happen to me when I was an atheist. Beating over the head with the Bible isn't what God's calling us to do, but speaking the truth each man to his neighbor, Zechariah chapter 8, that is what God's calling us to do, to be spiritual rivers of living water flowing forth from us into a dry, parched hearts of a lost and dying world. And revival can come when we do what God said to do, humble ourselves and pray, seek his face and turn from our wicked ways and allow Jesus And his salvation to provide us with rivers of living water to heal the land. Hallelujah. And if you're waiting for the other guy to do it, we're all going to be in the same boat. A dry boat. (laughs) Hallelujah. There's only one way. It's God's way. God knows what he's doing to quote the Feast of Tabernacles, the dedication of the Holy Temple of Jerusalem, the powerful promise to Solomon in answer to his prayer from the dedication, Jesus. Incidentally, just to make the point, when Jesus stood up on the last day, the the great day of the feast in John chapter seven and said, rivers of living water, that was almost exactly to the day, probably within 24 hours of the time, that God spoke to Solomon and said, if my people called by my name. Right after the Feast of Tabernacles, just about a thousand years later, almost exactly to the day, and for all I know, it could have actually ended up being exactly. God knows what he's doing. He puts it all together. Then he wraps it in a bow. The beautiful Jesus. Are you ready? Do we want revival? The only chance our nation has is us. We are it. We meaning the body of Messiah, and if you're part of it, it's you. And my finger's pointing back at me, too. Will you do it? Do what? Open the spigot. Let the spiritual power of Jesus, the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, flow through you outwardly. I can't tell you how many people, especially in reference to Jewish ministry, have said to me, my best friend is Jewish, but I don't want to offend them. I answer, fine, let them go to hell. Or you can let rivers of living water flow. So what if they're insulted? Jesus said, what good does it do to save your life and lose your very soul? Really? Is that what we want? Everyone to like us? I do. I really do. But the truth is that people liking me isn't what God's word is about. It's about his kingdom. It's about his kingdom. Friends, I'm going to bless you now with the ironic blessing from the book of numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 but then i'm going to ask you but now i am asking you if you want the anointing power to flow forth from you not just into you but flow forth from you we're going to give you time for prayer after we dismiss and of course there's prayer people on duty i will come down as well but you know what it's between you and god God cares about you, and he cares about a lost and dying world. If you need, wrong words, we all need it. If you want an extra blessing to help you understand how it is God can use you, what it means when you open this spigot to let rivers of living water flow, we're going to give you the opportunity to get specific prayer for that. But right now, would you just bow your heads? God said, this is how you shall pray for my children, Israel. And if you have uh, proclaimed the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, you got grafted in to spiritual Israel. God said, this is how you shall pray for Israel. This is for physical Israel. It's for spiritual Israel. And in the Hebrew, Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ye'erdenai panavalecha v'hunecha, Yesod anai panavalecha v'yassem l'cha shalom, Yeshua May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. One last thing before you're dismissed, and the whoever's on prayer duty, you can come on up right now. So we, so you're up here standing, prayer prayer duty, people. Is it me? <laughs> Who You're on? <laughs> you, you're getting it now. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. Jesus said, he who believes in me. Number one priority is accepting Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to salvation. By his blood we've been saved because it was required in the book of Leviticus. Blood making atonement for the soul. Friends, if you have never proclaimed Jesus as your Messiah or you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, please don't leave here without being amongst those who come forward for prayer. And when you get up here, say, I want to make sure that I'm a believer in Jesus and we'll take care of that. Well, God will take care of that through our prayer ministry up here. But in the meantime, you've been prayed for. The materials table's out there if you're interested. But for those of you who are looking to be rivers of spiritual living water. Don't miss this opportunity to get a blessing so that when you leave here, you're ready for the powerful negativity of a lost and dying world that wants to say, you guys are just wrong. There's another way. Here's the other way. Jesus and Jesus only. Hallelujah.